Educational equity or equity in education requires putting systems in place to ensure that every child has an equal chance for success. That requires understanding the unique challenges and barriers faced by individual students or by populations of students and providing additional supports to help them overcome those barriers. Our guest today has been studying equity within education for quite some time. And now it's time to have the conversation here on the Black Equity Podcast. Black Equity listeners, we are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. I'm excited about this conversation because we get to dive into a conversation on education. And whenever we're doing that, I want to find someone who has more wisdom on a subject than I do. Uh, On the line today, we have the CEO of Learning to Life Education Solutions, Dr. Shante Garrett. Uh, Dr. Garrett, are you there? Hi, I'm here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Uh, For those who don't know, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, and some of the work that you do. Okay, great. Um, Well, I started Learning to Life Education Solutions based out of the work that I've been able to do as an educator. Um, And really tying that back to the work that I've started doing around educational equity. And our goal is to empower learners and leaders to excel. And that comes through an equity lens and an equity focus and knowing that equity is achieved by way of policy, by way of leadership um, and marrying all of those pieces to obtain academic achievement not just for all children, but for every children. And we can dive into that later. Um, But it's really helping schools become empowered to develop the solutions for where you are. There's not a school that looks like any other school. So you have to be really focused, um, be very um, authentic, um, be ready to be extremely honest about your school community and your needs and then developing those solutions that are going to allow you to reach every child. All right, Dr. Garrett, you mentioned my favorite word in your opening. You said equity. 
So yes. what is education for those who don't know? What is your understanding of educational equity? Educational equity at its surface is where you meet every child where they are. Um, and that means that whatever this student brings to the table, we're unpacking that and then we're developing the systems and the processes around that child to help them be successful. Now, that would be at its surface. But what we really have to do is look at education as this system, right? And so education just doesn't happen by way of the interaction that teachers and students have. There's a culture around equity that has to be pervasive throughout a school. And so that becomes the decisions that we make, the way that we engage parents, the way that we engage the communities that our students live in, the way that we engage our students and being intentional around that so that they're able to bring all of those gifts and those gifts are included within the fabric, that's going to eventually translate into them being able to achieve. Now, uh, and I think that's awesome, a culture around equity. I, I love that. How, where do you get your experience from? It, without too much detail, what types of roles have you played in the educational system? Oh, and a number. Mm -hmm. um, I have served as a classroom teacher. Okay, congratulations. Nice, thank but you. Absolutely. Um, probably one of the most valuable experiences for every other experience that I've had. Mm -hmm. um, I've served as a building level administrator, as an AP, as well as a principal. And I've served at the district level as an instructional specialist, um, as an administrator over what we would call an office of transformation that housed a lot of the various pieces that go into education that we don't necessarily see or consider a part of the processes, such as transportation, such as student assignment. Um, and I've also served as a chief academic officer and now head of school. Wow. Okay. Before I dive into all of that, because I, I can see this is going to be a very fun episode. Um, <laughs> before I dive into that, how did you get into education? How did you know, hey, this is the right field for me. This is the right sector for me. How did that all begin? Um, it's a journey. Um, and actually, it started very pure. My mom is an educator, mm. uh, a retired educator. And so I was one of those children who grew up going to school on days that I didn't have to go to school, like teacher work days and those types of things. Mm. And my mom was awesome. And so I wanted to be just like my mom. Mm -hmm. And I'm blessed to have had that example at the very forefront of my life. She was literally my first teacher. Mm. Um, and as I began to watch what she was doing with her students, watch how she was interacting and engaging a community around learning, um, also developing within myself different opportunities to serve. And that's when I learned I truly did want to be a teacher to help people when I had the opportunity to start tutoring other students. And I realized that it was about helping people. Mm. Um, and so I developed this pursuit um, and I guess, you know, followed the path that I knew I was supposed to follow in order to become an educator. Um, graduated with a degree in math education from North Carolina A&T State University. Um, we, we won't blame you for that. I'm, I'm from South Carolina State. <laughs> okay. Well, you can't you come up in here yelling North Carolina State like that. 
Oh, North Carolina. Well, yeah, I graduated from North Carolina State too, but North Carolina a and You can just meet us in Atlanta in January. Okay, that's, that's what it is. It'll be all good, yeah. Okay. Celebration ball. <laughs> uh, but, um, and even in, so in that experience, I'm going through my student teaching, right? And I'm realizing that there's so many levels beyond just the curriculum and the strategy mm-hmm. around delivering um, or helping students to learn. Right. You know, students come to school with stuff. Mm. As a student teacher, I had kids who were having experiences that I hadn't fathomed growing up where I grew up with the parents that I had and the community support that I had. Right. Um, and that's where I saw not only what my mom was doing, but what it truly meant to educate that part of education being a system. Um, and that's also where my passion for leading in education came from, because I wanted to be a part of the system that helped students to achievement. I want to touch on that system, but I, before I mm-hmm. do that, I want to jump inside uh, your first day as a teacher. I think this is important. So you, you, you're a classroom teacher. Take me to that first day you are officially a teacher. And what was that moment like uh, knowing, okay, I have this group of students in front of me that I'm um, put in charge and responsible for. What is that, that moment like? Oh, what a great question. Um, And you know what? As well prepared as I knew I was, it wasn't thought I was, knew I Mm -hmm. was. Um, I still had that moment of panic. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Um, And so I remember... um, and, and I'm not a person who sweats, but I actually remember sweating that first day before kids ever come in. And I had my, you know, I had checked the entire checklist of things that I was supposed to do to walk in. Um, and so I had like this eight page written script. Mm-hmm. You had it all planned <laughs> <out>. what... <laughs> Exactly. What grade was all this? Planned what grade was this? This high school. I was a high school math teacher. Wow. I loved it. And my first set of students were 12th grade and 9th grade. Mm. That was my schedule. So I had had the beginning um, and the end. And so, you know, the first day I came in and I am not, I'm 5'2". So I'm I'm wearing about three or four inches of heels trying to get some height on me. Um, with these high school students, um, I am suited up because I don't want to be mistaken. Mm. Um, and I am rolling through that script and those kids left that room thinking I was some kind of drill sergeant. Mm. Um, and, um, as the day progressed, the anxiety left, um, but I knew it was not exactly natural, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew, and I did the things. I did the, the um, you know, the getting to know you exercises where the children do the surveys and that kind of thing. And I got to learn more about them. And the very next day is when I did want it to feel more natural. Yeah. So looking back on that first day, 
it's like, okay, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be mistaken for a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also don't want to be the drill sergeant either. So that's when we sit down and we start unpacking what they've shared about themselves with me and what that looks like in um, the classroom. Um, what I also learned <clears throat> on that first day, having 12th graders and ninth um, graders is realizing the gaps. Mm. You can see that if you're paying attention on the very first day. Um, as to what we know. D- as tell me about the gaps. Sharing. What did you see? Well, when you're sharing out about experiences, okay. right? So we do this interest inventory and we do this interest survey and we start sharing out about our experiences. And it's not that we're sharing to expose the gaps. You're just hearing the difference in their experiences. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you enjoy doing? You know, what types of activities have you been engaged in? Um, you know, favorite songs, what have you. Right. Do you after school activities? All of those types of things. Have you traveled? All of those types of things. And so, but then also, that's great learning for me as a teacher too, because I now I know where I need to lend the exposures we're going to have in the classroom. So really, when when we're doing those icebreakers, when I say we, because you know, I used to be a student back in the day. Um, <laughs> when we're doing those icebreakers, really, what you're trying to do as a teacher is trying to see where I am in my my mental capacity, so you can kind of fly into my mind and be able to kind of meet me right there and talk to me on my level, so to speak. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's equity. And and I, I know where to build okay. from. Awesome, awesome. I know where to build from, and I know how to make sure that you feel included when we're together. Right, right. Because that's going to be important. How, how uh, big are these classes uh, on average that we're looking at? How many students? Um, well, it's probably going to depend on how, where you're from and how they exchange. Now, in my first years of teaching, mm-hmm. um, they were probably between 25 and 30. Mm. Now, where I serve now, we've been very intentional of trying to make sure that our classes remain small. Tell me, tell um, me why. Because we know, we know, well, we know that that um, allows for greater interaction mm. between the students as well as the teacher. Um, It allows for more authentic interaction. Um, It allows the teacher to be able to strategize better around the student needs. If it becomes pulling a small group, if it becomes doing many lessons, especially when you get to speaking about interventions. Mm. Um, So that's something that we were very committed to um, this year and making sure that our class sizes honor exactly what we're trying to do. Right. Now you, you spoke about education being a system. I think a good way to segue into that is you've also served as a principal being a, being Mm -hmm. a principal. Were you able to now see how the system is working or was it stepping out of the school system uh, altogether and maybe working externally where you saw that? Where do you start seeing that there, this is a system going on? And how do you navigate through a system? Um, for me, the system started in my classroom. Okay. 
So um, back to that point, when you are looking at what types of experiences you want to build, I couldn't build those all on my own. I didn't have the finances. I mean, you know, we, we spend a lot of our own money as educators, um, but I did have the community connections. I was blessed to be able to serve where I grew okay. up. Um, and so I was able to pull in partners to help me provide various experiences for my kids right there in my classroom. And so that translated, and that's been a part of um, my work around equity and education period, even since the classroom, you can't do it solo. Right. And that's part of that system. It's engaging um, every single stakeholder. And so that's where, yes, as a principal is going out and saying, you know what, my kids need this. Who can I partner with to make sure that they get it? Right. I like that. I like that. Now, Who can I partner with to make sure they get that, it? Yeah. Well, and that's the, the other piece, too, is if we're thinking about, you know, schools are are and have been, especially for African-Americans, hubs of the community. Yeah. Right. If it's not happening in church, it's happening in school. And there was a point in time where that collaboration was extremely strong and almost to a point where you could not separate the two. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your church members were your teachers. Right. <laughs> and you saw them all throughout the all throughout the, the week. Um, not on, the, on your books and everything. They were a part of your community. Well, our communities are a lot larger. They're a lot more diverse. They've changed a lot. But fundamentally, guess what? Serving in a school, I'm still serving the same community as my neighboring churches. Right. I am still serving um, the same community as these various agencies and as these ver- other various institutions. And so I can't treat what I do inside a school building in isolation of what needs to happen with the broader community. And so your your idea is, well, let me partner with the broader community so we can uh, look at this from a you know 360 degree angle. Yeah. And, you know, I'm developing I want to see children develop one of the things that I consistently communicate within our school community is I want you to understand success. And it's not necessarily that you have to go off somewhere that you can be successful right here. Mm. So let me help you engage the right tools, engage the right people, develop the right skill sets. And that success that you seek is success anywhere and everywhere, including right here, because we're not going to build communities if we're always building citizens who leave. Why do you think a lot of people want to leave from, from what you've seen? I think it's probably the, the access to the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a part of that equity work. Equity makes sure that we're able to access opportunities. Um, and so if I don't see the opportunity for me here, then I'm going to go find it. But one of the things that's, uh, that I love and admire most about our young people um at this point in time is that they have created a space where they get to create their own opportunities and live very well and contribute to the world in those you know I often share excuse me with my um with my kids as well as some of the adults as we're engaging about what to do you know 
I started this trajectory as preparing to be a teacher and then preparing to be a principal. I had no idea about instructional coaching or being an instructional specialist when I was preparing to lead in education. Those, were jo- those are jobs that have been developed along the way. And so, yeah, when we say we're literally preparing kids for jobs that haven't been created, we're literally preparing kids for jobs that haven't been created. But the next level of that, if we're being honest, we are literally preparing kids to create their own opportunities. Mm-hmm. What does it look like? Create your own realities, right? Absolutely. Now, you tag Black Equity Network, and we appreciate you doing that, uh, on Instagram um, about, I guess it was a conference that you were at, uh, Resilient Schools in Action. Uh, you had, yeah. a, uh, you were talking to, who, well, you tell me, who were you talking to and why were you talking with them? I was talking to educators from all over the country. It was the ASCD Conference on Educational Leadership. Um, and so it was educators at all levels who are leading um, within their respective organizations, be it a district or um, there were some consultants there. And I think I tagged you in the feed around equity leadership, mm-hmm. the how, the what, and the Correct. why. Um, Yeah. And so why was I there? So my equity work, um, I would say its most recent beginnings came out of my dissertation. Um, My dissertation was on the perceptions of district level personnel of the academic achievement gap and how their perceptions inform their practice. Um, And in that, there were a lot of racial undertones. And so I was looking from a lens or my framework was around problem definition. How we define the problem is how we go in and fix it. Um, But in defining this problem, there was a lot of racial undertones, which led me to a secondary framework around critical race theory, um, which has led me into this space of equity work. Um, And one of the ways that I often joke with people is, or I kind of open the floor to put people at ease when I am doing presentations or workshops and things that I say, you know, I appreciate your bravery for being a part of this conversation around race. Um, You know, because one of the, how I got to the critical race theory framework was um, I had actually completed, I was at my defense and I had not included that framework or any conversation about the racial undertones in my work. And I'll never forget when Dr. Bon and Fuzzy Riley um, stopped me during my question. She said, you have all of this context. Why are you not using it? And I said, you know, I'm being very honest. I'm trying to graduate. It wasn't part of my framework. I'm trying to get done. So I didn't. And she told me, she said, you got to go back because this is going to be your platform. Mm-hmm. Yep, I will forever be grateful to her. Okay, so <laughs> for doing let, let's jump into that. That's so important for people that are listening. Someone comes to you, someone that you respect, someone that you, uh, I'm assuming, admire, and they they mm-hmm. they are placing on you a responsibility 
Now you have every opportunity to not take on that responsibility. Why choose to take on that responsibility? Why uh, allow that to kind of mold and shape you and go towards that? Well, um, it's, I, I do this thing by faith and I do it by integrity. Um, and so, you know, if, anybody asked me what the ultimate goal is, it's to get life right. Um, and so that means that when you see things that are wrong, you correct them. <laughs> you do your part in making sure that it gets fixed. And so, and I say that was my, I, gave, I give that story as my most recent beginning, but growing up in the household that I grew up in, um, I have parents that were raised in rural North Carolina, rural South Carolina, um, one from a, both from farming families, one as black landowners. Um, and that's two different contexts mm -hmm. in the narrative of African-Americans in this country. Um, but the common thread around those upbringings were you have to fight for what you deserve. And so I grew up in a household where education was paramount, but I also grew up in a narrative where I'm fighting for what I deserve by way of education. And one of the things that we know is that when it comes to education, there is there are things fundamentally that all children deserve. Yes. And children shouldn't have to fight for those. Children shouldn't have to go to school in a mindset that I'm having to fight for those. Those should be there and provided because it is right. And so at a very early age, I grew up as a child in the early magnet school. And so I initially started being bused, but because I had a mom who was knowledgeable and knew how to navigate the system, I was able to gain access to the magnet school that was within a mile, but I still had neighbors who were being bused. And so there was a very different educational experience that I was receiving than the experience that they were receiving. And then when you go within that school and after my mom's advocacy, I'm placed in an academically gifted program mm -hmm. and I'm the only child sitting there. And the only time I get to play with children that look like me is during recess. Mm -hmm. My entire grade levels on the playground. Why am I having this different experience than my peers? Um, and so you see these various injustices, right? Um, and so as, at the age of 12, my, my parents, my church, um, had put me in position to begin to start speaking about the things that I was seeing within an educational system that I was growing up in. Um, and so that became an early or the roots of advocacy. And so it was one of those things like, you know what's right and you know what you're supposed to do when you know what's right. You're supposed to use your voice. You're supposed to advocate for what you know is right. And you're supposed to seek change. Um, what I've come to learn at this point with my studies and my engagement now is that there's more than just the voice at the podium. So there has to be the voice at the table. And that's why I don't take for granted the opportunity. Tell me the difference given. between the two. The voice at the podium OK, so the voice at the podium is speaking out and it's giving awareness. Right. right? But then there's um, an onus left on those that are there 
and without any follow to impact the change and without any follow up or follow through, then what happens, right? We may never know. The voice at the table means I'm sitting down where policy is made. And I'm saying this policy is hurting people and it needs to be changed. It means that I'm sitting as a teacher within the professional learning community and saying, this is not serving kids well. How do we fix this? It means as an administrator, I'm putting data before folks and I'm saying, hey, you know what? These students in our school are not being served well. What needs to change? You know, one of the pieces that I tagged you in is, I, I believe it was in that particular post, was the quote um, around what children experience. You know, their achievement is not tied to their circumstance. Their achievement is dependent upon how we as the adults react to it. Student circumstances are not the causes for their performance. How we as educators respond to their circumstances impacts their ability to perform. There you go. That was it. And so that that's a quote from you? Yes. Okay, so so you're quoting yourself. Have you no <laughs> no no, I don't say that in in, in a in the wrong way. Have you been have you written a book where cuz obviously you have a wealth of knowledge. And so I have yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's coming. <laughs> I'm 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 working on it. I'm I'm trying to create space Um, and that's where I'm relying on the circles and people that I have to continue to keep me motivated so that that can get done. Okay. Well, you know, for the last few months, people have been coming to me saying, Hey, I want to write an autobiography or I want somebody to help me with my book. And I think you'll be the perfect person. So I don't know why so many people are coming to me about this, but I have, I have a sneaky suspicion that I need to start sitting down with uh, really brilliant minds and help get their stories out. And so if you ever need assistance in that, uh, just reach out to me and I'll be there for you. Oh, thank you. Uh, But I do want to dive into one of the most important questions, I believe, is why why is it that equity is needed? And I asked this question, I asked this question because there's this uh, conversation brewing within the culture of, diversity and inclusion versus not diversity and inclusion. And what I mean is, well, why don't we just build our own, right? Why don't we just build our own schools? Why do we need, uh, you know, to be at someone else's school? What are your thoughts on just that, the, that conversation in total? And is, does that have anything to do with the, the need for equity at all? Cause even if, you know, you have your own school, you still need the same, you know, government programs or the same things from the state to go to these different schools. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so there's a lot of parts to that yes, question. Um, starting one with, and you help me keep track of all the different parts. I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> but the first part I heard you ask was, why was equity needed? Yes. Okay. So equity is, equity is needed because we still have populations, and I say still, have populations of 
students, we talk about this in the educational context, but this is even for basis without, who are not gaining access to the opportunities, um, one, that they deserve, and two, that could change their trajectory. Mm. Um, and so when we say, you know, one of the, 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 and it's a topic within social media right now is the graphic, right? Um, the equality versus equity graphic where, you know, you give the kid a box and then all the kids can now see over the fence. One of the fallacies to that image. Okay. So yeah, there's a fence there. Why is there a fence there? Mm. Okay. But the other part too, and so that that fence represents a barrier. So we're giving the kids a box, but we still have barriers in front of them. They need the box because there's a barrier. But also, if you look at that graphic, over that fence is a whole community of people, a stadium full of people enjoying (laughs) this game that we've created the barrier, but we've given kids a box to look into. I'm looking at that graphic as you're talking. What many people would say is, well, you got to pay to get in. You got to you got to pay to get in to go see this this baseball game. You know, why just give you a box when you got to pay to to watch, you know, the the community uh play baseball? What are your thoughts on that? Well, here's the deal. So if that is representing access, right? right? Then that what that is representing is an entire system that's limiting access. Whether you say I have to pay, whether you say I got to climb this fence, whether you say I have to climb up these boxes to even get a glance. Mm. And that's the issue around equity, that if we're looking at it at the surface, yeah, we're meeting all kids where we are. But this goes beyond the surface when we're truly doing equity work, because we have to acknowledge that there's a whole system at work. And this system is rooted generations beyond the folks that are working on it now. Um, One of the things that I try not to shy away from. So I came into this equity work through a conversation around race, critical race theory. Um, And looking at that from the perspective of, You have the oppressed and you have the oppressors. And sometimes they don't even realize that they are playing the roles that they're playing. The oppressed don't realize that they're being oppressed. And the oppressors don't realize that they are part of the oppression because it's they're operating within norms. This is the way that we've already always operated. This is the way that we do business. Um, This is how things are. Hmm. And, and we don't realize that we are playing those two roles based on this notion of critical race theory. So when we're talking about from an equity perspective, it's taking the blinders off and let's unpack this thing. What's happening within these systems? What are our biases that are still being portrayed that are upholding these systems that limit the access? What are you saying? What are some of the biases that you, uh, in theory, could see as being potential uh, causes uh, of the lack of equity that is in the educational system? 
Well, I think we still carry racial biases. Whether we um, know them or are aware of them or not, we still carry a lot of racial biases. One of the challenges I had when No, no Child Left Behind came out was that we were starting to um, look at these different subgroups. So we're looking at socioeconomic status. We're looking at students with disabilities. We're looking at all of these labels that have been placed. And when you go back and you still start unpacking those labels, there's still a racial context there. Mm-hmm. So we want to treat it like it's completely isolated over here. Race just fits here. No, race is really pervasive throughout. And we have to be extremely honest about that. One of the clips that I show in one of the workshops I do is post um, the reaction to the Civil Rights Act and a white interviewer is interviewing white shoppers in the South. And they are sharing their, um, you know, frustration and blatant racist views around this decision but there's also children there Mm -hmm. so I'm having this conversation with this child standing right here who may not be participating in the conversation but they're hearing the conversation and that becomes a part of their learning becomes a part of their upbringing so whether they have never whether they ever repeat what they heard there that's still a part of their narrative right yeah, I remember, oh, I remember being a kid and paying attention to all the, the adults uh, doing some really <laughs> weird things. They didn't know I was paying attention, <laughs> but I could see, I could see, I went to, I grew up in Irmo, South Carolina uh, from the age of 13 on, and uh, I went to a predominantly white middle school, predominantly white high school, and it was, I think, also because I have a spirit of discernment. I'm able to see mm-hmm. when I walk into a room how I'm looked at by the teacher, how I'm spoken to, just the tone. I can see everything. And mm-hmm. then when my, you know, uh, white counterpart walks in, uh, especially if it's a white woman uh, or a girl at the time, uh, magically she's talked to and treated a different type of way. And, you know, even in, in class, if something were to happen in the hip hop sphere, everybody in the whole mm-hmm. class turns and looks at me because I'm one of the only black kids in the class. And it's just these subtle things that feels like a movie at times uh, where things are happening. And I remember 10th grade, um, mm-hmm. we were supposed to be talking about American history and we got towards towards the end, I think, or I remember it being towards the end. Maybe it was the end of uh, me even paying attention. But uh, they started talking about um, uh, I guess African Americans is what the teacher proposes. A white teacher at a white high school and she says, okay, now we're going to talk about uh, African American history. And so the first paragraph literally says, and the slaves arrived from Africa. I said, wait, now this is only one other black kid in, the, in, the, in this particular class. And I said, wait, hold, hold, hold up. None of y'all see an issue with this? None of y'all. And I'm looking at these, you know, uh, white faces, mostly blue and green eyed people. And I'm looking at them dead in their souls. And I'm saying, y'all don't see any issue. And they're just so dumbfounded. They're like, well, what is the issue? 
And I'm like, the, the, they're introducing us to your world as the slaves came from Africa, not the humans, not the, mm-hmm. not, I mean, it's just, it's just right there in front of you. And the teacher just standing there like, oh, here he goes again, you know, more outbursts. And it's like, at, at what point do you realize that sometimes the student is the teacher? Sometimes you may not know because of your own limited, you know, understanding, or like you said, your biases, you may not understand that what you're teaching right here is, is something, something not right about it. And and that's that's you know, and that can be very true. Mm-hmm. That's not a foreign context, but it's back to that part of when you know better, mm-hmm. you do better. Right. And that's the responsibility that we have. One, so at that particular conference, I um, did the equity leadership, the what, the why, the how, or the the how, the what, the why. Um, but the second one was in conjunction with two colleagues around equity, awakening, advocacy, and activism. And it was geared towards helping people identify where your responsibility lies. Okay. Realizing that we're not all playing a role, playing the same role. We all have a role, but it may not be the exact same role in this work towards equity. And one of the examples I gave was being a student at the North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Um, uh-huh. We had the benefit. <laughs> I caught that. Don't think I didn't catch it. <laughs> During my time there, I had the benefit to um, learn with deans and professors who were students at A&T during the time of the sit-in movement. What was that like? Yes. The blessing, right? And especially, I understand that blessing now. Um, You know, it was one thing to, um, you know, sit at the feet of greatness. It's another thing to be empowered by knowing the greatness that you had the opportunity to engage. Um, so, so in those conversations and, you know, walking with them back to those moments, yeah. you know, you're learning about the various parts. So we see the images of um, the courageous men and women who sat at the countertop and we see the images of those who got arrested, um, but there was a strategy to this thing. So there were a lot of people whose name will never be called right. when it comes to being associated, but they all had a role. So, you know, you had folks who could not miss class because they had to get the notes for the folks who were sitting at the counter and getting arrested, right? right? You had the folks who had to work overtime to get the money to pay for the bail when they got arrested. Um, You know, you had um, the folks who were doing the training and things late at night so folks could be resilient during the resistance. So everybody played a role. It wasn't necessarily sitting out front on the conversation, but it didn't mean that you weren't moving the process along you know you had the folks had to had to be well versed in policy so when we got to the table we knew what to ask mm-hmm. for 
Yeah. yeah. You know, we, 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 the civil rights movement, we invested a lot in making sure that we had equality, but equality didn't change hearts and it didn't change mindsets. And that's why we still have the equity issue. Mm. And a, a big part of what you're saying with roles, it, it comes down to relationships. It comes down mm-hmm. to communication and comprehension of, of that communication. And uh, what I've noticed is sometimes what is under attack is the relationships between uh, black men, uh, relationships between black men and black women, the relationships between black women and black women. And if you can attack those relationships, then you can attack that communication with one another. So then we can, you know, impact the roles that we could play at a bigger scale. And so it's so important for us to have these relationships and have conversations like this where people can listen in and say, wow, I want to work with this person. I want to figure out, well, how, how, where is my role? So what, what, what Mm -hmm. type of organizations, what type of people would you love to manifest, attract into your sphere that could help you along the way with uh, the advocacy that you're practicing and living? What type? Sure, like what organizations or is there a a type of person that would be uh, a perfect blend to work alongside you in your organization? Um, That's a great question. I think one of the things I don't want to do, um, and I'm learning this as I do more of the work, is pigeonhole where the work belongs. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, and so my mind started out of a, a passion to see this educational process go right mm-hmm. for every student, not just all, for every um, but what I'm, but when one of the things that I stress is that we can't treat school like it's a silo. Everything that happens in our society manifests in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is not just a school-based um, conversation, right? This is, this conversation belongs in institutions everywhere. There is probably not an institution that you could unpack that you would not find equity issues at this point in time. Right. So who am I? Is there a particular organization that I'm trying to attract? No, my, my love and passion um, starts at schools first mm-hmm. um, because I know that's, I believe that when you impact the lives of children, you impact the lives of families, you impact the community, you impact the state, country, you impact the world. Mm -hmm. So that's where um, my service begins. But is there a type of person? I don't know that there is a type Mm -hmm. of person so much as it's a matter of helping people get ready to do the work. The work's going to have to be done. Mm -hmm. Right? And so yes, you want people who are going to do the work by way of finding their sphere of advocacy and using it. But you also have to continue through that. You have people who are going to be able to persevere and continue through this process to help bring others along. Yes. 
Yeah, I, I, I mentioned, you know, organizations and types uh, only because, you know, earlier we were talking about, uh, you know, working with the, uh, schools, working with different community organizations. And so I guess I'm just trying to picture uh, from your experience, you know, what, what are the types of organizations uh, that have stepped up and said, hey, we would love to work with you. You know, you mentioned, you know, uh, churches, uh-huh. you mentioned uh, other people within the community. I'm just wondering, uh-huh. is there a, a particular uh, set of skills that someone would have uh, that could help you do the things you want to do? Maybe it's, um, maybe there's other conferences where you can get your message out and, you, you know, you being a speaker at these conferences. I'm just wondering, because I'm, I'm really big on strategic partnerships. That's what I do. Gotcha. So uh, I always know that there's a, a perfect fit for everybody and it may not be necessarily, uh, you know, line by line, this person must meet this, but I do believe that there's a perfect fit for everybody. And if it just means getting your message out, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, putting that book out, uh, whatever it may be, uh-huh. uh, there's always somebody out there that could uh, take things to another level for everybody. So I truly believe that. Yeah, and I and I appreciate you um, clarifying the context of that sure. question. And so when we're talking about those strategic partnerships, yes, um, reaching out with various educational organizations, really um, districts and schools that are ready to begin gotcha. the work and understanding that ready to begin the work Um, doesn't mean that everybody's on board, but we're going to start the conversations. Um, We're getting ready to look at strategies. We're ready to take a very inward look at ourselves. And we know that um, there's some things that we can change and fix to make this better for our students. All of our equity issues are not going to be the same. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, but you do have to get, um, you got to start somewhere. Right. You got to start somewhere and it starts introspectively. Um, so, and I, I, I take my message um, where it's invited, you know, by way of conferences. Um, and so I've had the opportunity to speak for Postpoc. I do a lot of work with ASCD um, by way of professional development. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak at Title One conferences. Nice. Um, yeah, and so there's. I don't think there's a space where this work does not fit. Right. Um, you know, Indiana Youth Coalition and a lot of various um, organizations um, that are developing equity lens or really trying to push them the message of equity and help folks find their space within this and by way of you know communities yes churches um i was having the conversation with a pastor recently and 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 it was in reaction to the post that i posted a couple of weeks ago um, but it's okay. So help me understand this concept of equity and help me understand where, you know, the church fits in. Um, and even thinking about 
what does this look like? So if we're talking about meeting the needs of people or meeting people where they are, what does this look like from a spiritual perspective? Mm. But so, right. So how powerful is that conversation when we're serving the same community? Yeah. Right. So I'm meeting, I'm meeting you where you are academically and I'm meeting you where you are spiritually. And it's not that this necessarily has to be a separate thing. Right. Oh, um, like right. Dr. Garrett. Oh, I'm, I'm in love with it. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I'm just saying I'm, I'm in love with it. Um, yeah, this is, um, you know, from standing, standing in front of that dissertation committee um, and that level of accountability or responsibility that was placed upon me. Mm-hmm to essentially go back to my roots and say, you know what you're supposed to do when you encounter things that are not right. Mm. And the beautiful part is you're doing it. A lot of people uh, don't walk in their, their destiny. They don't walk in their vision. And so you're doing it and we commend you. Um, how can people reach out to you? How can they work with you? Uh, what are the best ways of, of going down that process? Um, the best ways, feel free to email me. I am Dr. NC Garrett at gmail.com or through my social media. And I am Dr. NC Garrett at all outlets, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and those are the best ways. And I, I am extremely passionate about this. So I do myself, I do my best to try to make sure that I'm available for the work that I've been called to. And I appreciate you, first of all, coming on the show, but tagging us and us forming that connection. You're not too far. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So if there is any time (laughs) we need to meet up and and talk and figure out how to put things together, I'm open to that discussion as well. Well, and I appreciate you um, reaching out after the tag that, that, Bless me um, tremendously. You know, this this can uh, be lonely. Mm. There's a lot of figuring out to do. And especially when you're trying to make sure that you are. So even in this work, meeting people where they are and creating something that can move and catalyze folks to make an impact. And so thank you. I was glad to be able to find you and connect with you and look forward to it. My my family's in upstate South Carolina. Okay, so, yeah. So, yeah, we... Know, we come through Charlotte a lot. <laughs> a lot. Uh, we are going across paths and we'll definitely stay connected. And I just appreciate the opportunity to come and share. And I hope that it serves and blesses others. Thank you. And thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. The next time you come on, I want to dive into... Uh, what that process was like, you know, uh, getting your PhD and, uh, you know, maybe that could bless uh, someone who's going down that path as well, uh, who may be considering uh, that pathway. I definitely want to dive into that the next time we talk. Oh, absolutely. That's one of my areas of mentorship. Perfect. If I can help somebody along that way. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect blend. Thank you so much, Dr. Garrett. And we'll be talking to you again soon. We thank Dr. Garrett for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. And now I want to ask you, 
are your children, are your nephews, your nieces, are they getting the equity and education that they deserve? It's time to start paying attention to the school systems that are in our communities and actually taking an active role within them. Stay tuned for more episodes from the Black Equity Podcast as we take a deeper look into education in the future. Thank you for listening, and thank you for our guest today for providing a lot of wisdom on this topic. Thank you, and we'll be talking to you again.